I have got a really relatable and juicy episode for you today as I talk to the lovely Jenny about being a business owner, about the freelance world and about pushing past those self-sabotaging behaviours that can hold us back. Enjoy! Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Self-Sabotage to Success podcast. Today, I've got a real treat for you. I've got one of my rare interview episodes, and today I'm going to be interviewing the lovely Jenny Stallard. Jenny is a writer, a podcaster, and a coach, and a real thought leader in terms of freelance life. And she is the founder of the Freelance Feels community, blog, and podcast, which is all about well-being for humans who work for themselves. I am super excited to get started chatting to Jenny, who has got so much to talk about with us, about her journey from working into freelance and into her community and her podcast called Freelance Feels. So I'm really excited excited to deep dive into today's episode and to meet, introduce to you, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hello, Lucy. Hi. Lovely to meet you across the airwaves. Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to have you here. And thank you so much for joining us. So I would absolutely love you to introduce yourself to my audience, if anyone hasn't already come across you, and what it is you do. Cool. So um, I am by trade, as I would say, a journalist. I work through women's magazines, local newspapers, national newspapers. Um, but I'm now more, I call myself a content writer, really. So I do sometimes still some features and different pieces of writing for people that would like any writing really for their company. So blog posts, that kind of thing, or content for newspapers still on the advertising side. Um, I also run um, a platform called Freelance Feels, which I started in June 2019. And it's all about mental health and well-being as a freelancer, a bit of an honest look at freelance life. So I always say, I can't help you with your tax return, but I do talk about the feelings of doing your tax return. So that sort of sums up freelance feels, but it's a newsletter, a podcast, a blog, um, and coaching. So I've started training as a business and career coach, and I'm doing workshops and one-on-one coaching with freelancers and self-employed people. Lovely. I love that. So your mission is really about lifting up and empowering and keeping their well-being ticking over of your freelance community. Would that be about right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And reminding them all that none of us are perfect. Um, Nobody has got it nailed. No freelancer. And if you think another freelancer has got it nailed, they're fooling you. Nobody has got this you know, sorted. And the idea is that I want to champion, my mission is to champion the idea that we're all just trying our best. And sometimes our best doesn't work. Sometimes our best makes us feel amazing and lands us dream work. Sometimes there are tears of joy and (laughs) upset. That's freelance life. So my mission is to, to, to talk about the realities of freelance life and say it's okay to feel not amazing about being freelance sometimes. And it's okay to celebrate being freelance as well. So yeah, that's my mission, definitely. Yeah, you're right there. I love that. And I love that light and shade. And as anyone knows who has listened to my podcast before, and I know there might be some new listeners because I'm gaining new listeners every week at the moment, which is marvellous. 
But for those of you that have been with me for a while or since the beginning, you'll know that I am so keen on imperfect action and on embracing that imperfectionist within us rather than worrying that we've got to get everything right because that way inertialize and inaction and actually I'm all for you know celebrating the wins and 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 learning from and thanking ourselves for the failures because if we're failing or if something isn't working it's because we're putting ourselves out there and we're trying so I absolutely love that so can you tell me a little bit more because I know that some of my listeners especially that have been with me since the beginning are still in working roles and can you tell me a bit about your transition from having a working role and maybe maybe having a, a side hustle and turning that into your full-time job because that's where some of my listeners are still at the moment. Cool, yes. And hello to anyone in that situation because I know if you're, especially if you're on the cusp of thinking, I might do my own business, you're in that like state of, oh God. So I'm what I, I've made up a word, freelancer. So I've been freelance three times. Um, and this time I always say it's for keeps. This is my jo- job now. Nice. It's my choice. <laughs> the first two times I was working on magazines and I decided I wasn't enjoying that particular magazine. So I just went in and I said, I'm leaving. And that was the first time was, I think, around 2005, 2006, that kind of time. And back then on magazines, there was a lot of what they call shifts, which was kind of like freelance temping. You go in, uh, for a week, sometimes for a few months, sometimes for maternity cover, for example. Um, so I knew that that was available. So I knew if I went freelance, I could immediately email some of my contacts and say, hey, I'm, I'm available for shifts. And I did back-to-back shifts for almost two years as a freelancer. So it was kind of like job, not job. So it was like I had the security of knowing I was getting a day rate, but on the side, I could then write other articles, build up my portfolio. Um, so the third time was in April 2017 and I took redundancy from a national newspaper and it was different because it wasn't my choice to go back to freelancing in many ways. It was a, a reaction to the redundancy process was to say, okay, well, I know freelancing. Let's try that again. But the power, I'm thinking of take me out now, the power was not in my hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that shifted things for me because well, as we all know, making the decision is really empowering. So to do it as a reaction to something that happened out of my control was harder and, and, and I struggled more that time. So to answer your question, I guess my, my thing is I the first two times I relied on the contacts I already had. So somebody's sort of thinking, oh, you're in a particular industry, let's think of an example, um, advertising. So you're working for an agency And you're thinking, I want to set up on my own. I'd like to be freelance. I might want to go into contracting. You know, you could always see if it's an option for you to contract with people as a a freelancer, first of all. So you're not just saying, right, I'm going to set up my own company and I'm going to find clients and that's scary. You might be saying, okay, well, if I left, could I do, are people offering fixed-term contracts in my industry that would then bridge the gap between being a full-time employee and completely going it alone. So there's that that middle ground of contracting rather than just going full self-employed that I used to do a lot of the time. And I still do a little bit now, to be honest. I, I sometimes, you know, I look out for contracts, copywriting, people often want contracts. So there's definitely a nice area of, yeah, let's call it job, not job. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> for job, want of a job. better phrase. 
And I think that's really good because like you said, it's making that first step, making that leap into the unknown that can feel the scariest. But if we can scaffold ourselves to use a kind of old educational developmental psychology term, if we can can find that next step up the ladder then it makes it so much more manageable. So I love that. And it doesn't have to be forever as well. You know, you can have these big dreams about running your own business, being completely autonomous, but one step towards that, one one place on your journey, one destination could be contracting or, or like you've described as freelancing. And actually that brings me to the word freelancing because we've had a little bit of a chat about this offline, but I don't use the word freelance. I use the word business owner. Do you align at all with business owner or do you still feel very much uh, tied to the word freelance obviously because that's your community but you as a person do you feel you're also a business owner that is such a good question because I struggle with this I really struggle and I the more people I meet who are freelance the more I start to think well hold on a minute if people don't use that word some people find it a negative word because freelance implies there's only one of you you're a bit of a gun for hire you're a bit of a kind of, you know, you'll do this, that and the other, a bit of a kind of, you know, you're not a business owner so much as someone who's available to do work for other businesses. And that hadn't really come to me until I started talking to other people about their definition of freelance. And then I realised, no, I am that. I am that person who, if, you, if you're a massive company and you want someone who's really good with words, I am a gun for hire. So I'm like, okay, cool, that works for me. But yes, I'm a business owner and particularly... With when it comes to freelance fields and the coaching, I've realized that I am more of a business owner than I thought I was. So I was always calling myself freelance and actually, oh my God, yeah, it's like crept up on me. I think I've been a business owner longer than I thought. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's funny to sort of analyze these things. I love that. And I think that's something, again, it, it, it talks again to when we practice something, when we try something, when we do something, suddenly we are the thing. I, I think we've talked again about this offline, but you can often not believe that you are a coach or a business owner or a podcaster until you've been doing it for a while and you realise, oh, I'm in midair and I'm doing this. I've taken the leap and I'm absolutely owning that space. And I also like what you said about the fact that, yes, there are absolutely elements of freelance life that suit you and that you own and that you celebrate. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. There's absolutely space for duality because it's your business and it's your life. You get to choose how you define your own success. So love that. Thank you. So in terms of that, if we're going to call you a business owner as well as a freelancer, what would you say you would have left on the table if you hadn't made the shift so many years ago, 15 years ago, into this way of being? And obviously, you've had a few kind of forays back into the employed world. But since 2017, say, how do you feel your life would have been less enriched? Oh, I love that question. It's such... The minute you think of this question, and I hope people listening, ask yourselves this question as well, because it really makes you start to think about that idea that you had to be the former you to be the you that you are now, if that's not too cheesy. But no, it makes sense. yeah, and every time I went freelance, um, sorry, rather, every time I went back into a so-called staff job, I kept freelancing a little bit. So even when I was at the national newspaper, where I was for two and a half years, I still wrote for sometimes for magazines. I wrote a novel while I was there. So I did things on the side that were self-employed projects. And 
I think, oh gosh, when I think of the things, what would I not have, have got now if I hadn't, if I'd stayed in jobs? I think I'd be, and something again we were talking about um, before we pressed record was the idea that you jump from, how do I put it? So in magazines in particular and writing, you jump from being a writer or an editor to a manager and suddenly you don't do any writing anymore. Yes. And I used yeah. to look at the people who were the features editors or the, you know, the deputy editor of the magazine. And if they ever wrote an article, you could tell they were like, oh, goody, I get to write something this month. And I'd be like, I get to write something every day. Like, that's why I'm here. I want to do things with words. That's it. That's my, yeah. my, that was my, pushed me into journalism. That was the feeling. So I definitely think I might have, if I'd continued to try and climb that, that ladder, I'd be somebody who was in a uh, managerial job, managing a team, not doing much writing, unfulfilled in that way. Um, and I also don't think I'd be talking to you from where I am. So I'm in Oxfordshire and I moved here with my partner. We've got two dogs um, and we wanted a different way of life. And if I wasn't self-employed and if I wasn't a business owner, to come back to your definition, yeah. I don't think we'd have made the move from London to here because I just still needed to be in London to do all the shifts that I was doing and the contracting in-house. So actually, it's geographical as well as business-based. And I wonder if a lot of people listening might think, yeah, man, because there's lots of people all over the world who might be have moved to, you know, a different city because they're freelance or self-employed. So it can really, it can open up the world to you business-wise and geographically. That sounds very cheesy, but I think it's true. <laughs> I love it. And it is absolutely true because what you get to do when you become a business owner, when you go all in, is you get to make the rules. You get to throw out the existing rule book and make your own rules. And that doesn't just mean kind of the mindset stuff, although obviously I love that and we'll come to that in a minute, but it means the practical pattern and rhythm of your day it means where you get to live the working environment that you have if you're introverted or extroverted you can manage your energy and you can manage your interactions with other people and you can you know if you're an early bird if you're a morning person I'm not um, <laughs> then you can get all your work done and you can have like a you know a siesta at lunchtime if you want I don't know if many people do that but you know that, that's I did that totally yesterday and I I woke up and I was so relieved because I was, <laughs> anyone who's listening that's uh, on my, the contract I'm on at the moment, I did only take an hour. <laughs> but I woke up about five minutes before the end of the hour of lunch and I was like, oh, thank God, because you could go on for all our, like you might fall into a deep sleep. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's always, it's always a risk. But yeah, you're absolutely okay to do that. You know, you're allowed because it's your business and you're not on someone's, on someone's pay list anymore. You're absolutely doing your own thing. And to kind of bring in a writing metaphor, because you are a writer, what I talk about with my clients is that when they leave corporate or they leave an employed role, they get to rewrite their story and they get to rewrite who they are and what they're doing. And I think, you know, that is so true when you said, actually, I love the writing element, you know, to tie the two, the metaphor with the reality, you wanted to do that. And because you took control of your working life, of your working day, of your working location, you were also able to take control of the, the physical work that you do and how you get to show up in the world. Thank you. That was a brilliant response. So can we talk a little bit about challenges that you faced as a business owner and specifically how you might have experienced self-sabotage. Oh, self-sabotage is like, it's almost like my co-worker sometimes. I don't know if you feel like that. <laughs> I love that. That's... Mean co-worker. <laughs> yeah, but it is like, it's sort of, it's, it's literally like having a co-worker who sits there all the time going, well, don't send that. 
Oh, don't send that. Oh, why would you pitch that to that person? I'll go make a cup of tea instead. Oh, look, the hoovering. Um, yeah, it's like it's constant little devil on my shoulder. And I do oh, have yes. to work hard to tell it to F off, frankly. Oh, um, please do. Yes. <laughs> no, I love the idea of the devil on your shoulder. It's something that I've talked about with my own clients because it really can feel like that. And it is so important to do that mindset work on your inner voice and to make it kinder. And, you know, with practice, you can absolutely quieten that beast on your shoulder. Just before we move on, actually, if anyone is finding any of the content that we've talked about so far really resonating with them, specifically about this inner voice and that kind of negative co-worker of self-sabotage, do connect with me, do book a call. So you can go to calendly.com forward slash Lucy Orton and you can book a self-sabotage breakthrough call. I would absolutely love to speak to you and to work out how we can, to use Jenny's fantastic phrase, kick that self-sabotage co-worker out of your office <laughs> yeah evict them it's like totally because, you know when you've got a co-worker like that and it's sort of like well hold on like you might ask to move desks in a big office or if you're hot desking you're going to try and make sure you don't sit next to the person that's constantly either moaning or bringing everyone down or you might chat to them and say look oh, could you try not to bring the negativity today because I was feeling really positive or you might action that so it's almost like do that with the invisible co-worker that is self-sabotage and say to it do you know what I don't want to work with you today I don't have time to listen to your stuff so quieten down because yeah, I've got stuff to do <laughs> absolutely and I think you know like you said you'd report that person to HR if they were an external person and that's absolutely the case with self-sabotage we allow ourselves and our own inner monologue to treat us in a way that we would never accept it from somebody else we really do and we we allow that kind of voice to creep in and I often say to clients you know you are with yourself 24 7 and I'll sometimes if I'm doing a workshop or something like that I'll say who is the most influential person that you've met in your life so far and people will reel off a teacher or a parent or a really good friend or a negative or positive impact and I go no it's you you are there every minute of every day and your voice is the one that you hear in your sleep, in your daytime, in your, you know, in your best moments, in your worst moments. And sadly as well, sometimes in your best moments, that voice goes extremely quiet. <laughs> it doesn't go, I was wrong. I was wrong. You're absolutely awesome. What was I saying to not send that email or not do that pitch? Because look, I was wrong and you're brilliant. We don't tend to do that unless we're really intentional about it. You've reminded me, sometimes I watch the old episode of Sex in the City. I really love the old ones, the beginning ones. <laughs> Good. But there's this particular episode where Charlotte, uh, if anyone knows it, sh it doesn't know, you know, Charlotte's a bit prim and proper. She doesn't, mm. she's saying she doesn't like her body. And then she tells Carrie, the main girl, who everyone probably does know, how brilliant she is. And she's like, you're a brilliant woman and you'd stand out in a room full of women and all this kind of thing. And Carrie just looks at her and she says, why can't you say that to yourself? So true. And it was it's a real like, yeah, like you just said, you know, we're so good at bigging everyone else up. But when it comes to ourselves, we're a bit like, oh, me, am I... And then when we do do it, because people probably think, well, hold on, Jenny, you're always talking about yourself on Instagram and you're always saying, look at me, freelance feels, woohoo. But there's always an undercurrent of, oh, God, do people think I'm an idiot? And oh, nobody yeah. came to that workshop or whatever, you know. It's, there's always an undercurrent of 
self-sabotage yeah. is always knocking on the door. If you told it to get out for the day, it's like it comes to the window and goes, hello. And you're like, no, close the curtains. <laughs> I've already sacked you once this week. Yeah, exactly. yeah I, I totally agree. And, and a couple of episodes ago, I talked about that fear of arrogance, which sort of touches on what you were just saying then. You know, oh, I have to say I'm the big I am and I have to talk up my wings. And as part of my self-promotion, that can be really uncomfortable. But actually, it can also be so powerful if we do that quietly to ourselves and kind of give ourselves that mental boost but it takes practice and it takes accountability to keep on top of that because it really isn't our brain's natural, you know, living space for a lot of us. It is much easier for our brain to skew negative. And I've talked about this on the podcast before. So that was really interesting to hear about that. Are there any main parts of self-sabotage that have particularly resonated for you? So my clients come to me and they often are really struggling with procrastination or perfectionism or fear of success sometimes or imposter syndrome so do any of those particularly ring true for you or or are saboteurs that you find yourself dealing with more frequently definitely I think the procrastination stands out a lot and I don't mean necessarily like not doing my work or anything but more putting off things that I might want to do um for example sending a book proposal um and then I know a lot of people want to write a book and I would like to write a book and I wrote a book proposal and um, I sat on it for about three months <laughs> and I just kept going to send it. Yeah. And eventually what I did was I'm in a Facebook group that was part of um, a pitching course that I did. So you only get into the Facebook group if you do the course. So it's quite a small group of like minded people. And I went on there and I did a post and I was like, hi, friends, look, I'm sitting on this thing. I need someone to tell me to do it. And everyone just started going, send it, send it, send it. And then they started saying the next day, did you send it? Brilliant. So I was like, I sent it. But it, it was literally, I sat in it. So that kind of that idea that I sit on pitches a lot. So I will have a pitch. In fact, I've got a pitch that I've been working on and I just keep looking at it and then I don't send it. And there's almost like this fear of, is it a fear of somebody not wanting it? No, I don't. Oh, Lucy, I'm kind of getting coached here now, aren't I? It's like I slipped into coach, coach client mode. Yes, definitely. It's an easy, it's an easy trap to fall into. <laughs> it's good because it does make you think. And again, I hope people that are listening are thinking, oh God, yeah, that happened to me as well. It's almost like I'm not scared that someone won't want my idea of, of an article idea. I get rejected all the time. It's almost more, if you send it, then what's going to happen next? So you send that book proposal. What if they say yes? oh God, you're going to have to write a book. Like, that's the frightening thing. Or like, what if you send that message to a LinkedIn person? So somebody famous in the sporting world asked to LinkedIn with me this week. Wow. I won't name them just in case. I don't know if I should. But I said to my partner, I was like, because I knew he'd know who it was. And he, yeah, I've heard that that person often reaches out to people who are journalists and that kind of thing. So I was like, Okay, well, shall I ask that person to be on the podcast then? Because that seems like they've asked me to, to LinkedIn. But yeah. I still haven't asked them because I'm like, there's, there's two prongs, isn't there, once you, once you put it out there? And this is why I think we often sit in the don't send that email, don't send that message. What if they say yes and what if they say no? Because if they yes. say no, you've got the rejection feels and all of that. But I put myself out there and they said no. You know, I don't want to make light of it, but that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. Or if they say yes... Oh, God. Okay, so I'm going to interview that really famous person from the sporting arena. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
So there's that sort of two-pronged unknown. Totally, totally. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. The fear of failure sort of seems obvious. Everyone's kind of conscious of that, aware of it to a certain extent. Yeah, I struggle with the idea of things going wrong. But sometimes that fear of success, it takes a little longer to unpick, but it's absolutely as negative, really, because it does keep us held back. And as you described, yes, you're procrastinating, but procrastination is the symptom. It's something underneath that that is telling you, and maybe it's telling you, this is something I really want to do, but it means a lot to me. So it means more to me, this book or this book idea or whatever it is, this particular pitch than a common or garden pitch from last week. It's something that really, really matters. And so whenever we can push through that, think it's fantastic and also I love what you did with seeking that external accountability and I talk about this with clients you know what we want is to go from a stage of real internal mindset and we're driving ourselves we've got what I call a superpower but in the books they call it locus of control and we're dri- we're the driving force in our lives but a brilliant sidestep to that is getting an external person to be that accountability partner while you learn that you can do things while you recognize that you've got this fantastic evidence base for what you're achieving or what you have achieved and you can keep drawing back on that it's brilliant to have that accountability and absolutely once you put something out in the world and we talked about this offline about podcasting once you say I'm doing a podcast that's it you've let the rabbit out of the hutch or whatever you know wherever rabbits come out of out of the hat um and you've really you've really put something in motion you've you've made that little dent in the in the universe and I think you know that is so empowering because then you're sort of stuck with it and yes you have to deal with that discomfort of pushing through your barriers pushing through your comfort zone but once you've made that commitment to yourself and others the next step just sort of show up to you. They become more clear. Okay, I guess I better get that microphone. Okay, I guess I better write that book plan. Yeah, it's too late then, isn't it? And I definitely say if people think, I don't want to tell a whole Facebook group, well, pick one person then, pick a freelance ally who you know you can trust yes. and tell them or, you know, book your call with you and, and be accountable to a coach or a mentor, you know, make it someone professional if you want to. Have Absolutely. Have sessions and work on that, you know break down the barriers that are surrounding so that next time maybe you you go I'll just send it because I sent it last time and and the world kept turning (laughs) it really does get easier and easier with practice as so many mindset things do and I absolutely agree you know sometimes there's a place for a business bestie or an accountability group and sometimes you need that totally external person like a coach so I absolutely agree with that and that really segues me nicely onto my next question have you worked on any of your mindset saboteurs with a coach and I know you're training to be a coach but as part of that process have you worked with other coaches and how did that go if you if you did do that I have yeah so actually being a coach guinea pig for people that were training brought me to coaching in many ways so I used to talk to coaches a lot for articles still do sometimes and that kind of got me interested in the coaching world but I have a couple of friends who have trained and they sort of said oh would you because when you're training anyone who doesn't know you know you have to to get a certain amount of hours under your belt and I was sort of their their client and yeah, it really helped me unblock the mindset that I was, I could only be one thing. So for example, I was a journalist, that's who I was. And a lot of my friends sort of call me Journo Jenny or Jenny the journalist. Mm-hmm. So it defines you sometimes. So you might be yes. so-and-so who, you know, you won't work in a certain industry. You might be Cupcake Carol. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you do baking. I don't know. That's a silly thing, isn't it? <clears throat> do you know what I mean? It's that kind of idea that you're on one path 
and that's what you've chosen so that's what you've got to stick with and that's what you know and don't look sideways and that kind of thing so yeah being um a coach guinea pig for want of a better word really got me thinking about I'd say firstly wanting to be a coach but also opening up my eyes to the fact that I had the power and the capability to say I want to do something else I want to do something different I want to 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 do something else with my career and I'm allowed to because I'm allowed to choose whatever I do and that's the same for anyone who's in a full-time job who's going freelance who's got a side hustle like you literally even if you are 100% employed you're on the payroll you can still choose to do a side hustle but who's to say unless there's something in your contract that your weekends can't be made up of doing the thing that you love that might become your business one day um Shout out to Mel Johnson, actually, who runs a company called The Stork and I, which is coaching for women who want to consider solo motherhood. And she was one of the people that I did quite a few sessions with who got me to the point of going, I want to, I want to do coaching too. So uh, she was a real sort of moment for me where, where she helped me kind of figure some stuff out. So she's, she's great if people but considering that, that she's, she's the go-to, I'd say. Wow, that's an amazing niche. Isn't it? Yeah. So Jenny, our time together is nearly up because I know you have dogs to tend to and I have children to tend to. It's February half term at the moment. Before we go, can I ask you, what is your favourite thing, your best thing about being a business owner? Oh, this is a good question. I love this question. Um, Apart from being able to own two dogs um, who've done a great escape from cold it's <laughs> whilst we've been talking um, very very impressive yeah, you're and, saying and, I wish the video was on I would like and, to have uh, seen I, that I saw it on my phone as I was looking at it. I was like oh they've got out um but genuinely in terms of the dogs that was a real life goal for me and my partner was to own the dogs and we moved in order to do that so that we could have a place with a proper garden of our own and try and juggle work-life balance better so that dogs could be part of that so I would definitely say that I couldn't now go back to a, a, I don't want to say full-time job, to a staff job, I like to call them, because I want to be at home with these two ruffians, Florence and Roger, they're called. So Aww. that's probably, yeah, my, my main answer is the dogs. But in terms of business, it's the choice. So it's not even the freedom. And a lot of people sort of say, well, does freelancing mean you're free? And it's like, well, not always, because sometimes you have a client who, you know, you know, demands your time. And there's all these different things that you've got to be beholden to, the tax man. It's a classic yep, example. Yep. <laughs> but the choice, so the choice to say, no, I don't want to work with that client. No, I don't want to do that thing today. Or to say, yes, you know, tomorrow's Friday and I would like to not do as much tomorrow afternoon. So I'll work tomorrow morning and I'm choosing to have Friday afternoon for, for me and to do some non-work things. So it's the choice, the fact that you can make choices that you don't have to say, excuse me, boss can I go on holiday on that day or yes. like it's half term lots of people normally would have had to have asked for half term so they could be at home with the kids I imagine a lot of people right now are wishing they could be anywhere but at home <laughs> with their kids totally. <laughs> everyone's kids but um yeah the, the fact that we can make our own choices on our own terms um that that for me is is what keeps me 
as a business owner. I love that sense. Personally, autonomy is absolutely up there with the kind of number one things I love about being a business owner. Um, But also I love what you said that, you know, business goals are fantastic. That's what we work towards. That's what we're out there in the world doing. You know, like you said, that writing that really lights you up and is kind of your purpose. But also it's about the life that is outside of that business. And that's really what's on offer when we make that leap. And when we feel like that empowered CEO, that we get to have those choices and we get to make those decisions, which which just, I know I said that was my last question, but how does the term empowered CEO land with you as someone who's made that transition now more towards business owner and owning that space? Do you like the term empowered CEO? Do you feel like you are empowered? I feel empowered, but CEO is not something I'd ever describe myself <laughs> as. I guess on paper, that is probably the right term. I own my own business and I run the show, and but it makes me think of The Apprentice. And The Apprentice <laughs> is almost like everything I never want to be as a self-employed yes. person. Yes. And the idea of saying, well, I'm the CEO of Freelance Fields makes me think of candidates on The Apprentice. I know. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I feel like I'm not a CEO in the old school idea of it, but I would love to be part of reinventing that story and and thinking that it doesn't have to be, you know, he who shall not be named on The American Apprentice or, (laughs) or someone else, you know, who's got that kind of toxic masculinity. Actually, it can be a softer, more integrated with life kind of role that feels like you're just all about that autonomy and that design and that sense of choice and freedom you know as you said it's not about necessarily being free every minute of every day but it's about being able to map out what you do who you serve and how you grow a life around that yeah very much so I completely agree and it's like play around with the words maybe like you don't have to be the chief executive officer you could be the chief like put your own word I'm gonna have to think about this now I can't think of anything off the top of my head but you know the chief CFO the chief freelance officer like like call yourself what like that's that comes back to that whole thing of, well, we make the choices. Like, if you don't like CEO, call yourself something else because, you know, play with the words. <laughs> Definitely. And don't use labels. You know, this is something I've talked about in the past as well. Don't use labels that don't serve you. So don't kind of hide behind something that isn't serving you or create your own. And the beauty of being a business owner, of making your own decisions and having that empowered mindset and that progressive mindset is you get to call the shots and you get to define what what success looks like. And it doesn't have to be the success that we've been kind of dropped on from on high, you know, the big car and the big house in the city and the the crazy commute. That's that's old school. And, you know, I really encourage us all to rewrite the book on that. I completely agree. Someone else's freelance or self-employed small business life might look a certain way, but don't do it their way. You don't have to. Yes. I mean, by all means, be inspired. If someone starts doing something on Instagram, you think, oh, that looks fun. Like reels is something that everyone's jumped on the bandwagon off. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you do you. Absolutely. <laughs> don't get distracted totally. by other people's journey. I think that's fantastic. And it's a really lovely place to sort of round things up that, you know, this is your journey and your life and your business. Remember that and you get to kind of call the shots. So thank you so much, Jenny. Before we go, where can people find you if any of my listeners are still in that freelance contracting stepping stone into business ownership, and they'd like that support from your community? How can they find you best? Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, if people would like to find out more about that and read blog posts, which sort of chart my journey a little bit and also find out about 
coaching if you're freelance or thinking of going freelance, which is what I specialize in, then go to www.freelancefeels.com. You'll find all of the information there. If you'd like to come and find me on social media, the main place I hang out is Instagram. I'm at freelance underscore feels. I'm the same on Twitter, but I generally don't hang out on Twitter that much. Instagram is where I like to hang. Um, so yeah, do come and find me. If you have anything you want to ask, DM me on Instagram and say hi and let's see what we might do together. Fantastic. And I will pop into the show notes, Jenny's website and her Instagram handle so that you can find her really easily by checking in the show notes. So thank you so much for today, Jenny. That's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode of the Self-Sabotage to Success podcast. Bye for now. Bye, Jenny. Bye.